Listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music, music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening, and I couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics—they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller. My shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. Bring on life. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions. I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. I always thought I would bump into John Elefante in my music business travels, but it was not to be. So when he planned to release his solo project, On My Way to the Sun, I reached out. He was more than kind and flexible to speak with me, yeah. This was recorded on May 16th, 2013 via Skype between Nashville, Tennessee and my home base, Grand Rapids, Michigan. You know, I, I read some comments about your new record that 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 you said about your new record uh, on my way to the sun was I'm finally really happy with the way something turned out. And I thought, wow, you've been in the music business for so long. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want this to be the first time you said it, but you said it. So talk to me. Why is this more special than than other things that you've that you've done? Uh, I, I think because it. I didn't labor over it as much. Hmm. I mean, I got to a point when I first started this record, how I started out to make the best record of my career. And I beat myself to a pulp thinking that, you know, because it was a Kickstarter record and fans were were vested financially, emotionally and otherwise, I felt like I had to just deliver them the best thing ever that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And... I'll tell you right now that that stopped me dead in my tracks that you can't put that kind of expectation on yourself when you're making a record it's impossible right i mean nothing you do write sing is good enough so that along with a month and a half worth of crashing computers i mean it was (laughs) just horrible uh during during that month and a half when i'm paying somebody 80 bucks an hour to come over and find out why i can't record anything right um you know i really had to search my soul and say you know what man i gotta lighten up here i mean this is crazy to to enter a record thinking you know i gotta make the best record of my career right and after i figured out all the computer issues got that all wired i started to really relax and just started to have have some fun you you got you got to enjoy what you're doing it's just pure labor Right. But when I got to that point, everything came really easy to me. And I was liking the way things were turning out. And I think because of the ease of the way things were working, I was, like, I was, I was liking what I was writing. 
And in the past, I've always had that. I didn't have quite those kind of expectations on myself because records that I've done in the past were made over longer periods of time. I felt like I had to rush this one more because there were actually people waiting that, like I said, were vested. Yeah. But I think the ease of the record, and then after I listened to what the finished product, and I thought to myself how easy it was to make, you know, I ended up enjoying listening to the record. I didn't. I, I don't pick it apart as much as my other records, and I could listen to it uh, painlessly. Nice. Are, do you think that's just a part of 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 your own personal maturation as not just an artist, but a person that that knows everything can't be exactly perfect, but it can come to a point of greatness. Yeah, I'm I'm really hard on myself, man. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 really especially hard on myself vocally. Mm. You know, and, and I'm I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying this to sound overly humble or anything, but you know, I, I listen back to my vocals sometimes, and you know, sometimes I think you know I can keep singing this until I'm dead, right? And it's probably not it's probably not going to get any better, but. And then someone will write me like, your vocals are just, you know, so awesome. And I'll listen back to some of the vocals I've done and just go, I don't know how anyone can praise that vocal. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. And I'm not, I'm not fishing for like, oh, oh, you know, it's seriously, it's like, I don't know. It's, uh, I've always been self-conscious vocally. Maybe it's because I'm originally a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you, uh, can you perfect a, a can you perfect it the the sound when hitting a drum and you can't perfect the cuz you know i mean i I've, I've recorded stuff with my voice before and i'm not a singer but i'm just talking about what i do um and i'll do it whatever you know at 11 o'clock in the morning and then i'll say oh i just got to do a little change to for for it to be better and i'll do it at three o'clock and my voice doesn't even sound the same <laughs> you know i oh, mean yeah. it's it's crazy. It's just hours, you know, I don't, you, you don't think about it, even though, you know, well, my voice is my voice, but it's just a tinge difference, whether it's, you know, a couple of days later or, well, what, or just it, an inflection on a syllable or whatever. What so. I've noticed, Frank, it's like looking in the mirror. What I see coming back at me is not what other people see. Hmm. It's, it's the same vocally. I mean, what I hear back is not what other people hear. Yeah. So, you know, that thing in the mirror, images sure. appear closer than they whatever that right thing that says you know on on our mirrors right true about my vocals so is it harder so then is it harder produ to produce your own vocals than it is um other people's once you once you've actually got it down on tape oh yeah i i could produce other people's vocals with ease yeah i mean that that comes super easy to me yeah you know cuz cuz i i i i record everything myself i engineer myself i record my vocal myself there's never anybody in the room even even when we owned the sound kitchen here in nashville yeah which had these beautiful seven studios under one roof i would tell the second engineer go get me set up you know what mic i want to use you know what outboard gear i want go get me set up and lock the door and i'll see you in about 10 hours right and i would just go in there and self-indulge in my vocals you know keyboards keyboards guitars drums and all that stuff it's like it's fun to have a crowd around but for vocals i just you know, I <laughs> some of the outtakes are pretty bad. I don't want anybody to hear them. <laughs> well, did you ever have a problem performing on stage then? No. Hmm. No. 
that uh, that comes pretty easy for me. Although there is one trick I use in the studio that I that I I have to be physically holding a microphone. Oh, really? When I'm singing, so I set up the microphone in front of me with the pop screen, but I have an SM57 that I hold. Mm. It's just something about that psychologically, and, and um, there's a body body language, a body thing that goes with it that. You know, like my son plays baseball. It's like uh, I'm always yelling to him, um, uh, <laughs> baseball stance or something. You know, whatever. Right. Because he's out sure. there picking daisies. You know. Right. You know, when I want him, you know, in that baseball stance. You know, it's kind of like my vocal stance. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good way to go through life. Is thinking about. I, I think about it when I'm going golfing or something or anything that's like, am I ready? Am I ready? What does it take me to be ready for? The next whatever, whether it's a fly ball or it's the chorus coming up. Right? Yeah, exactly. Got to be in that. Got to be in that shortstop stance. Oh, you know it. <laughs> so, hey, the first song on this record is "This Is How the Story Goes." Uh, the song lasts forever, by the way. So, thank you very much for the the prog rock. You're welcome. But going into the lyrics, I thought it was a lot about trying to well, just the acceptance of the unseen. That's still a a thing, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. That that song actually started. Uh, that song actually started from a friend of mine that um, that has cancer, and you know you hear that word terminal. Yeah. And to me, the word you know I, I don't know if I've ever looked up the word terminal in the dictionary, but I think I think the the worldly definition of terminal is you're gonna die. Right. And that and that's pretty much that's it. You're gonna die, and it's. You're going to be put six feet under, and that's it. You're going to be worm food. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. That's that's not even. That's not even a. Um, I mean, I so much believe the opposite of that. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't really write the song about that person because I. I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to single that person out with one song and make it. A, so I'm. I'm more included. You know, all of us and the world says we're terminal, but. I believe through Christ we're far from it. Um, it is. I think it, my son asked me last night. He said, "Dad, is that the longest song you've ever written?" I had to think for a minute. I said, "Yeah, I, I think so." Have you seen that commercial for? Um, uh, it's an, it, it's a um, as seen on TV with that hose starts off real small. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, and I'm I'm fascinated by it right now. And it grows and grows and grows and that. Well, that's <laughs> this is how the story goes. That's the hose song. It just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And I'd write another part and tack it on. I'd write another part and tack it on. And so, as seen on TV, this is how the story goes. <laughs> it's the song that grows. Just started as a two and a half minute Beatles song. Right. Grew into this. Well, isn't death such a weird thing? I mean, I, I want to say that I'm at peace with it, but I haven't had the same. Um, a diagnosis that your friend has, right, or had, and um, when you write, when somebody writes about it, I'm always, I'm always intrigued because it's not easy for people to talk about a lot of times. No, you know, I, I personally don't like the subject. Yeah, but it's something that we all, one, we're all, we're all going to face it. Mm-hmm. But when do we face it? Do we face it when, when? the rug gets pulled out from under, under us or do we get it or we just sort of go you know what i'm just going to make the most of now i guess that's that's right? there's a song on the record called um uh half the way home 
you know, where we need to make every moment count. And we don't. Yep. We have a lot of knucklehead moments that don't mean anything in our lives. But you try and make days and, and situations count. But right. I feel like the older I get, you know, the more you do think about, you know, what lies, you know, what lies ahead. And, you know, with my mom passing away Christmas Eve, this uh, well, actually, mm-hmm. this past Christmas Eve, she died. Mm, sorry, man. You know, I, I appreciate that. You know, some one of the closest people to me in the world. Um, you know, it, it, it just, it, you know, both my parents are gone and I don't mean to get all depressing, but you know, it's, it's something you definitely think about, you know, and, and, you know, I was right there in the hospital when she died and, you know, she had, um, I'll just tell you this real quick. She had probably two minutes to live. I mean, her, her, she was taking about nine beats a minute and I put my hand on her shoulder and my, both my brothers were there and I. I told her she was going to, you know, meet God with open arms and be welcome home. And, uh, you know, I, t- I told her profusely how much I loved her and how much, you know, she meant to me. And she couldn't, Frank, she couldn't, she couldn't take, barely take a breath, but her eyes welled up, both eyes welled up with tears. And that was her way of saying goodbye to me. And it was just the most amazing thing because I wanted her to like just squeeze my hand just a little bit, just to you know to assure me that she heard me but she she didn't have the strength mm. but her eyes welled up with tears and that that just blew my mind you know i mean i'll never forget that as long as i live i the, the gift that my mom gave me when i tell you i'm not afraid of death is because of the gift that she gave me is she fell i went to visit her at the hospital and she was not good mm. and it was just her and i and we sat there and we talked for 3 or 4 hours and it was awesome you know, it was everything that I could possibly hope for to be able to hear her talk about her life and what's she's looking forward to on the other side. And just and it just made me think how much we're all the same <laughs> and how much what am I trying to say, dude? It's <laughs> how much how much death is really a part of life and, and when I go to halfway home and, and sort of think maybe that's that's what that's where I'm at right now, right? I'm just sort of halfway home, you know. Well, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little more than halfway home, but I hope not. It's it, it was just a nice metaphor for that particular song. <laughs> well, I mean, but I would say that even those conversations that I had with her, um, I mean, she was sad that she wouldn't see my kids graduate from high school and and stuff like that. And I said, well, you know, my hunch is you're still going to see him graduate from high school. He's just not going to be in the same room as us. Or, or at least we won't be able to, you know, hold hands during that time or whatever, right? Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. But those are those are those are good memories. We went out just yesterday. Me and my son went out to my mom's. Uh, my mom and dad are both buried at the veteran cemetery. Mm. And he, my eleven-year-old, he'd go out there every day. I mean, that was his best friend. Really. But you know, it's my memories are very, very, very good of my both my parents. So that that's all good. You know, there was there were no issues with either one of them, man. We we loved each other, and she knew it, I knew it. And, you know, it's a good closure. I don't know. I think her tears and my mom's conversation that I had with her are are things like you know the words that you write. I try to teach my kids a lesson that time's a precious thing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. those those are great words in a song, but they're they've got to get inside my heart 
you know, somehow or another. And if it came from her tears to your, to your pen, to your uh, studio, to your voice, I mean, and finally in my ears sooner or later, then, wow, man, that's the that's the beautifulness of <laughs> of music, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the the second song on the record is "Where Have All the Old Days Gone." Mm-hmm. God, how, I, the world is so crazy out there, right? That sometimes I look back and go, "Why, why can't it be more like then?" Yeah, you know, and you know, I mean, just you know, everything has changed, violence everywhere, state of disrepair, disrepair and it's like, I'm a hopeful guy, but sometimes I can watch the news and and or the few times that I do watch the news and go, "Why? How can?" How can we put another foot in front of the other foot? Keep moving forward, but somehow we gotta. You know that. So talk to me about that song. That was a fun song to write, man. Because I remember when I was writing the lyric to that. You know, the music is is one thing to write, but when you start writing the lyrics, that when that's when all that's when all the cool stuff starts happening. I mean, I, I brought myself right back to junior high school when I used to walk. Hmm. We only lived about three quarters of a mile from my junior high school, and I would walk to school with friends every day. And yeah. home with friends every day and sometimes I'd walk alone when they were homesick and vice versa I'd, you know and it was it was it was a much more innocent world not the world has never been perfect but it was so much more innocent um you know like the song says you know my my if my mom wasn't home she didn't lock the door I just went in the back door right you know you, you didn't have to worry about getting kidnapped or you know your friend's little sister getting kidnapped or you know guys weren't pulling out uzis and and i mean you just pretty much got in a fist fight <laughs> right and settled it right there you know and i did many times mm-hmm. and uh and you know but the, the song is just about those those you know so much innocence is lost you know and we all love this internet generation and and our iphones and but there's something to be said when we were having more human interaction with people. Yeah. And I try, I, man, I try to teach my kids that all the time. You know, my son plays his video games. My daughter's always texting and texting and texting. So, why yeah. don't you pick up the phone? Right. She's at dinner the other night, or you know, t- talking about an issue she's having with a friend. I said, why don't you pick up the phone and not talk to her? Tell her you'll meet her at Starbucks and go look at her face to face. Right. And tell her the way you feel. Well, well, yeah, they always they, they always have excuses for doing that, you know. It's easier for them to just text and 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 get away from the issue, but yeah, man. I, I think I I think most people, even in their thirties, agree with where of the old days gone. Man, so much has changed just in ten years. Don't you think so? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's crazy, and I and I think that I want I want to grab onto technology and ride it and. And and help it help help it help my life, but there are times when it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna text somebody, and all of a sudden the human interaction takes a back seat, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, it's just easier to text somebody. And now all of a sudden, I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. Just let me text them. You know, it's just and, like, and, and sometimes you'll look at your own text and you'll say, man, I wonder how the other person on the other end's taking that. Right, right. You because know, you know what's what I just wrote is not really what's in my heart, but. For the right. sake of, I don't have time for a phone call. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah, well, it, and it's funny because my wife and I will 
read each other a text like, what do you think they meant by this? And you almost read it with the inflection that you think whatever you're putting on that person, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not even fair to them, right? They, they, no. They could have been busy. They could have had whatever, you know what I mean? And too many times it, 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 we, we lean toward the, why? why? What are they saying it like that for? It's <laughs> like, they probably meant nothing by it, right? I mean, I know I, know I don't, you know. <laughs> and now you have the speak to text thing, you know? You speak your text into right. the phone, and right. you know, it gets half the words wrong. You got you better look down, man, or you're going to get a lot of trouble. <laughs> it's the truth, man. <laughs> I, I've looked I've looked down at some of my speak to text texts, and said, "Thank God that didn't go out." Well, honestly, that's why I like doing interviews. Um, I like doing audio interviews because one, we can keep moving, we can go ride our bike, or we can drive somewhere and keep, and we don't have to sit down and watch another YouTube video or whatever. But um, that's why I like doing it because I, I think the voice really captures the heart. You know, I mean, there's a sense of who you are just by what you're saying and how you're saying it. Where if I read an interview with you, it's different. If I see an interview with you, you probably act a little bit different. Not everybody does, but many people do. You know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I just think there's something about hearing somebody's voice. I agree. If we can't sit in the same room and have a, a cup of coffee together or whatever, I, whatever is the preferred beverage. I, 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 I totally agree. All right. Great. I have you totally agreeing with me. Let's keep moving. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess being the, the Christian guy that you are, I was a little surprised that uh, the title is S-U-N and not S-O-N. So talk to me, my, my friend from Nashville. I, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, the simple answer would be, you know, the sun is light, S-U-N. The big answer, the more complicated answer is, I made a conscious effort not to title it S-O-N. Only because there are a lot of people out there that still listen to me that might not totally agree with what I say lyrically. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just like it for the music. Some of those old classic rock guys. Sure. And this is no kind of cop-out, and there's people that think that, that it is, but it's not. I don't want somebody picking up this record and seeing On My Way to the Sun, oh, it's religious. You know what I mean? I want them, I, 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 you know, when, when I, that was, a, that was a line in a song before it was the title of the record. Mm. But I want these, you know, I just want these people to, to, to give the record a chance and listen to it. And, and I was concerned that if I, spelled it S-O-N, that it would just come across as a, as a CCM record. Right, right. And I have a lot of loyal classic rock fans out there that, you know, I don't think I was trying to placate them in any way or, or kowtow to them, you know, because if you listen to the lyrics on the record, man, there's, I mean, I say everything that I wanted to say. So, right. But I want to draw those people in. I still get messed up with Christianity, right? I mean, if somebody asks me if I'm a Christian, I don't even want to answer the question. I don't. I mean, because there's so much baggage that comes with it. So, I mean, while I'm content and happy, I guess, if you will, that you're on your way to the SUN, it it almost makes no difference to me because if that's the way you believe, that's great. Uh, you know, And I will say, you're right, if, if it's a... If it's uh, on my way to the SON, I'd kind of go, okay, how much is he kind of shoving down my throat here? So there is, maybe, I, maybe I'm still in that, in that, maybe I still have baggage myself, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> my question to you is, how much baggage do I carry every day? Go. Hey, we all got a lot. 
Leaves your leave your bags at the door. Please, that dude, right on, right on. Well, I, I maybe that's why I love the next track, which is all I have to do because just being able to feel the spirit moving and happening is all good for me. You know, that song is one of the songs that I want to leave with the listener. Um, I myself don't know if I can sit down and completely explain verbatim what that song is exactly about. Although, um, all I have to do is dream about you when you're there. Again, harkens back to innocence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's funny, Frank, and I hate to keep bringing this up, man. But for some reason, in the last three or four years, and, and, and maybe, maybe it's because on Facebook, so many of my old junior high, elementary school, and high school friends have looked me up. And they've sort of come back into my life. And I enjoy talking to these guys. Even guys, I can't even remember where I left it with them. Right. Did, I end up, did I end up hating this guy? Did I end up punching that guy? <laughs> you know, it's, so much time has passed, it doesn't matter. But I think it's what it's caused me to do is, like, I often... I often see myself going back, you know, and, and, and reflecting back on some old days, you know, and it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, I don't want to go back and live there, but, right. you know, um, some, you know, sometimes I'll have a dream about, you know, something that, you know, we, we were in these crazy top 40 bands and we had so much fun just traveling around Southern California playing at Disneyland and all these cool places. And, you know, again, there was, there was a sense of innocence about that and, um, you know, and that's generally what yeah that that song is about. Yeah, isn't sort it, of. Yeah, isn't it? It's amazing to me too whether, and and when I say feeling the spirit, I mean the spirit of whatever, right? Just the spirit of that person, almost, or the spirit of of that age. You know, if not if not the spirit of you know some some you know the a godly thing, you know. So yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, some of these some of these buddies that have looked me up on Facebook. Um, I still see them in my head, yeah, like they like they looked when they were in, you know, a junior in high school, right? And you know, some people still look good, and some pe- some people don't look so good. And <laughs> it's just, but you, it's just hard to believe that that forty years has passed, right? You know, what I'm saying it's it's just unbelievable. Well, you know, I I don't hardly pay attention to my Facebook. I really don't, and I, shame on me. I don't know, but but I do know that. When I first got it, what five years ago? I don't even know when. I just took a picture of myself, threw it on there, and people are begging me to change the picture. I mean, <laughs> when I see them, and I'm like, my friends that are, that I'm around now, and I'm like, what difference does it make? <laughs> I don't even know if it makes a difference, but I am wondering: Do I not want to put one on because all of a sudden I've got more gray in my in the hair on my face now? I mean, I don't know if that's something stopping me, or maybe I should just put on a middle school picture and <laughs> be. <laughs> well, everybody remember me back then, which would be hilarious. I, I'm sure. I know people. I know people that yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, the next track is "The Awakening," and I. I guess I always love it when there's a realization that there's something more for you, and always there for you. You know that that that's a that's a very vertical song. Um, it's very, very crazy. Very yeah. It's it's it's. it's you know, and it's 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 something it's something I wanted to say. I, I I remember when I wrote that lyric, it came very quickly. I had the song, I had the melody all mapped out, and I laid on my back in my studio, 
I didn't go to sleep, but I was kind of in a meditative state. And yeah. I just, I pictured, I pictured God's people finally coming together as one body, you know, leaving all the dissension and the backstabbing that happens even amongst Christians uh, and finally coming together as one body and moving through the land saying, believe or be left behind. I mean, obviously, Frank, you know that that's what I believe. And, you know, that that's that's just what I wanted to say in that song. And there's a lot of harmonies by design because, you know, what does that sound waking me out of my sleep? It's the most beautiful sound. So I, cer I, I certainly couldn't have a bunch of out-of-tune vocals. <laughs> but I don't use I don't use um, I don't use any vocal tuning. I almost put that on the record that there were no vocal tuners used on this record. But uh, I didn't I I, I didn't, didn't want I didn't want to go that far. Yeah. Well, you know, we all fall short, and that's me scatting and segueing to the next song I want you to talk about, huh? How about that? There you go. Well, we all do, and that's the greatest thing about about the Lord is He loves us anyway. We obviously do fall short of His glory. I mean, you know, we all sin, we all mess up, we all, you know, we all fall short. And in spite of that, you know, he, I believe He's the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the... Father is through the Son, and um, I think that song is pretty, again, vertical and pretty self-explanatory. Well, um, but I guess my, and I've probably asked this question a hundred times before, but why is why is faith such a struggle? Is it is it because we can't see and touch it? Is that why it is? You know, it's it's is that it's it? Is it that simple? It's funny you bring that up, man. Um, because my son is, is somewhat struggling with that right now, my 16-year-old son. He is super, super intelligent. I mean, he's in, like, these calculus classes. I mean, I, I couldn't even make it through math one. Right, yeah. Yeah, I could never help my daughter do her homework. Oh, I could never do it. Uh, I don't even get in, in, in any kind of conversations with math or science with my son. Right. I, he'll, he'll chew me alive. Um, yes, I mean, faith is... It's very rough to, to believe in something you can't see or touch. But, I mean, I believe, I believe that there's powers and principalities going on all around us that we can't see and touch. And, and I think if you believe in a, a supernatural realm, you know, that's what caused me to start wanting to investigate what is this supernatural realm all about? What is it? What's out there? You know, is there really evil and is there really good? And, you know, I, man, before I accepted Christ into my heart, I, I did, I did a lot of, I did a lot of, a lot of research. I mean, I, I read books. I mean, I went to Bible studies. I heard, I heard both sides, you know, yeah. and, and listened, you know, very carefully. And I, I couldn't, I could not deny the existence of Jesus Christ anymore. I, I just, I tried really, really, really hard. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't want to believe it, Frank. Seriously, I, I didn't want to believe it because I thought it would bestow upon me a, a a obligation in my life to be something that I couldn't live up to. But the beauty of it is we can't live up to it. And that's where, that's again, goes back to the song, We All Fall Short. Mm -hmm. it's, something we, it's something we can't live up to. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the analogy um, I, I once heard where, 
you know, you're on trial for murder and the judge is about ready to sentence you. And he all of a sudden says, um, John Lafonte, would you stand up? And I stand up and the judge says to me, you're free to go. I said, what? He says, you're free to go. I don't know if you've heard this analogy before, nope, but nope. Uh, uh, your sentence has been your sentence has been um, carried out. Oh, r really? Yes. Um, my my son has taken your death sentence, and he has died on the cross, which enables you to be free. So, go and do the best you can. Um, actually, he says, "Go and sin no more." Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's. I mean, I I I I heavily believe that that that's that's the beauty of all of it is is we we just can't live up to. You know, being perfect, and you know that there had there had to be a sacrifice, and Christ, in my opinion, is this was that sacrifice and still is that sacrifice. So so if I go to the next track, don't hide away. Everything that you just said, I, I, I'm going, okay, great. Then I'm going to go out and let love rule the world. But the fact is, is that love doesn't completely rule the world. I think it could, but the world is so messed up, we've got to figure out how to douse the flames that are going on out there. So so I'm outside the courtroom, want to make a difference, don't hide away. Uh, it, it's, um, I know, well... I think when I wrote that lyric, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to go back to to when I did write it because most of the songs I can go back to the exact time when I wrote it and what I was thinking. That one I'm having a little harder time with because so much, so many thoughts have gone through my head since. Yeah. But um, it talks a lot about the cycle babble that comes out of this tube we watch every day. You know, you just don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah. I mean. Reporters report stories before they're even true, and and all just all kinds of stuff. You know, these talking heads are you know just telling us this, and it, it's psychobabble. It's like, what's going on here? You know, and you know, then then it, uh, you know the song moves on onto a phase where you know I, I have a lot of friends that are a lot of friends that are that are Christians and and know the truth, but they. They're sort of they're just sort of hiding away. You know what I mean? They're so, they're sort of scared. They're sort of like, mm, wow, man. You know, if it, it, it because of all the psychobabble on TV, you got if you, if you're a Christian now, you you, you better be careful with that because uh, you can get in a lot of trouble. I mean, you know, the uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 not exactly um, sure. And I got to say this as a Christian, it's not exactly as in vogue to be a Christian as it used to be. I mean, the persecution is definitely getting heavier. We we are, you know, we are getting, we are, you know, we are made to look like, in some ways, buffoons now, Christians. And I don't know whether you agree with that or not, Frank, but it's, it, it's, it's true. Well, and I guess it's because of the select few that the, the media can throw on TV and go, watch this guy talk about your faith and quote unquote they represent us there if you will right and and how do you stop that because they just spoke to a million and a half people and you and I are just talking to each other right now you know yeah i mean exactly it's they show they like they like to show the you know 
the whacked out extremists, you know. Uh, yeah, well, and that sells advertising because honestly, when you see somebody screaming with the vein coming out of their throat, you stop. And if it's just you and I having a normal conversation like this, mm-hmm. they don't stop. You're right. You're you know, right. and that's fact of the matter. So it's a product. They're just kicking out a piece of product because they want to sell advertising. So. You know, yeah, it's a, it's sort of like a reality show. It's you know, the first thing they tell you is we want controversy, we want yelling, we want cursing, we want yeah fighting, we want we want. You know, exactly. Eyes getting eyes getting scratched out. I mean, <laughs> gosh, some of these reality shows just unbelievable. I can only take about two, two minutes of them. Yeah, I know it. I can't even tell you if I've ever talked about abortion before, but you have to go into the song this time because it's so it's just so heavy. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, based on a true story. It's yep. based on how my daughter came into the world, my 19-year-old daughter. Um, her birth mother wow. was right on the cusp of aborting her. She was in an abortion clinic. By the way, I did not set out to write a pro-life song. That is not where that song came from. All right. But, you know, abortion does enter the picture because it almost happened. She was almost taken out of this world uh, before she entered. And her birth mother was ready to abort her and decided not to. And, I mean, that, that's, that's what the song is about. I mean, and, and I, had, I had to speak a little bit about abortion in that song because it is part of the story. Right. But, you know, you can't leave out the adoption part either. I mean, her birth mother loved her enough to get out of that clinic call her mom, tell her she was pregnant. Her mom said, I'm coming to pick you up right now. And they found a home for that baby, which is my home. And mm-hmm. and I appreciate that very much. You know, again, I didn't I didn't set out to write an abortion song. I mean Right. I would Well it's, fu- it's funny, last night I, I was flipping through that television and um and I saw probably a half an hour of Juno. Ju- Juno. You know? You know the movie I'm talking about? You should you should watch it. It's about this uh, young girl who um, she's in high school and becomes pregnant, and she goes to the abortion clinic, and she's very flippant uh, mm-hmm. flippant about it. He, you ready? She's very flippant. Uh, why can't I say flippant? What is it? Flippant. Flippant. What is the word? I think I can't either. Flippant. Flippant. Yes. Flippant. Okay. So so she's going to the abortion clinic, and she's pretty pretty flippant about it and pretty lackadaisical it, sort of just kind of yeah and just you know like okay we're just going to do this and get it over with and all that kind of stuff because the mm, yeah, in the movie i just thought it was interesting how they because she decided not to have the abortion and and for little conscientious reasons like there was a high school friend of hers outside and said you know the the baby has fingernails or something like that and you know yeah. again being that sort of sarcastic sort of smarmy character but it was just interesting how they dealt with the conversation about abortion because it's hard to have that conversation you know i mean in public even personally like you had to deal with it i mean that's that's just crazy all the things that are going through your head and your heart and oh it's it's and i don't i don't know where i'd end up uh, uh, i'll have to check that movie out juno i i don't even know if i've yeah really heard of it but uh yeah it's got the guy from it's got michael Sarah and justin bateman from arrested development mm. in it and um, it was out three or four years ago. I think, I 
think it won an Oscar for something. I don't know, but because but because um, I've, I've I've slightly heard of it, but I I definitely want to see it, it now. J U N O, but it's really it's. I mean, it is that kind of smarmy, you know, uh, cult sort of dark comedy thing, yeah. but it deals with that kind of real life issue without coming to a conclusion like abortion's great abortion's terrible whatever she just chose not to and i thought it was interesting how how she came to that i mean the song is loosely based on because i don't know all the fine details of everything that happened that's that's why the listener has to give me some creative license but the the bullet the bullet points of that song are true which are the main parts she was going to abort she decided not to she decided to put her child up for adoption, and I went in for an interview, my wife and I, and she chose us. And when the birth father was asked why he chose us, guess what his answer was? He said, I thought John was the most intellectual, most amazing, prolific man that I've ever... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, know what he, you know what he said? I liked his shoes. That was the reason he chose me. Wow. Wow. I liked his shoes. I had a pair of Doc Martens on that day. I don't know if they're still popular, but that's the reason he chose me. He liked my shoes. Yeah. He was only he was only fifteen. She was thirteen. And rocking the Doc Martens. What color were they? Black. Black. And I thought to myself, man, I you know I I thought that I went in there with all sincerity during that interview and. I really, you know, we brought flowers into the birth mother and the birth grandmother was there and it was a pretty big, deep occasion and I was nervous as I'll get out. Yeah. And the guy ends up picking me because of my shoes. Wow. You know, we didn't pick him because he had a nose hair. The guy was... <laughs> <laughs> well, then I, I'll, I just, I'll just say God works in mysterious ways, right? I mean, if... if she, that is the truth. She was able to grow up in a family that was stable and loving and faithful then wow i'm glad you wore those shoes that day exactly exactly it, hey so can we go back and talk about um the career prior to uh oh yeah love to your solo and your i guess not really prior to producing because you've been well do you know how many records you've produced it's close to 100 or maybe more and it's got to be because we were doing we were doing eight to twelve a year, at least. So when when you opened the Sound Kitchen, was that really stepping out for you in every way, financially, artistically? What, what was it? I mean, because it's a, got it had to be a huge financial investment, right? Oh, absolutely. When we when we decided to move from California to Nashville. Dino and I, Dino's a splash maker, man. I mean, I'm, him and I are a lot different personalities. Dino likes to enter a party, you know, coming in on, you know, crashing the place. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he wants his presence known. He's a loud person. He's a, he's a big, loud, not boisterous, but yeah. just, just, you know, big personality. Yep. Yep, Dino said, if, if I'm going to Nashville into that music community, I want to go in there with a bang. Now, we were going to build studios anyway, but he said, I want to go to Nashville. We have the chance. We have raw dirt here. We could build a studio from the ground up, which is next to impossible to find raw dirt in California. Mm -hmm. 
But in Nashville, we came about 20, 20 minutes south of town where there were zero studios and not one bank in town would loan us a dollar except for one, First Tennessee Bank. Every bank said, we will finance it if you put it on Music Row. We did not want to go on Music Row. Mm-hmm. We, cool Springs was this really cool new area where all the new stores and restaurants were. And we found out, Frank, very, very quickly. This is where all the musicians and artists lived. Mm. They all lived in Williamson County out here where we put the studio. And these guys are like, they're in there recording on this, you know, the best equipment you can possibly get. I'm thinking, gosh, I can go home for dinner and come right back. I'm only five minutes away. Right. So we only had two studios to begin with, and the studios became so booked by other clients that were willing to pay rack rate. You know, we still have an obligation to produce a certain amount of records a year. We didn't have enough time in our own two studios. <laughs> so Dean and I are going downtown to record, you know, in other studios because we, wow. you know, it was nuts. I mean, the, the place just, not to mention my parents cooked the most amazing Italian, Italian food in there. We, had, we put in a full kitchen yeah. and, and a full dining room. And that was a big, big hit in that studio. Yeah. So to make a long story short, we decided, I think in uh, 1996, to add about 15,000, 18,000 square feet. Right. We bought the lot next door. I think we paid right around 90000 for two acres which is so unbelievably cheap for two acres. That same two acres right now would cost you two and a half million dollars in Cool Springs. Seriously. We paid 90 grand for it, and we're thinking, where are we going to come up with a 90 grand? Sure. But anyway, we, we added a bunch of square footage and a bunch more studios, and I'd say we had a 10-year run that was out of this world. Wow. An 8 to 10-year run where you couldn't even get a room. You, you, you couldn't. Wow. You know, we were, we were booked up so far in advance, and... My parents are cooking for Julio Iglesias, Springsteen's people, uh, Richie Zambora, Alan Jackson, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw. Uh, I mean, right. my pa- they wanted to come in there because they loved the studio, and my parents' cooking was such an awesome caveat. I love it. I mean, you'd walk in that place. It was the only studio in the world that you had to walk into that smelled like garlic 24-7. <laughs> and it, it, it was beautiful, man. I mean, the, the place was just, and musicians and, and producers loved being there because there was so much synergy going on. Hey, what are you doing, man? Oh, I'm, in, I'm over in Studio C doing this. Oh, really? You know, come on and listen to what I'm doing. Hey, man, uh, next week I'm tracking. Are you booked next Tuesday? Oh, oh, yeah, you know, it's like all this stuff would happen. Wow. So it was a cool, cool place to be. Every Friday we had a courtyard. We, we'd bring in the what we call the dirty water dogs from New York City. The, you know the Sabret hot dog carts in New York City? Yep. We bought one of those and put it in our courtyard. And every Friday, nice. we throw the hot dogs in the dirty water. Not not really dirty water, but it looked like it. Yeah, right. And got, guys would come from other studios. I remember uh, every time we had hot dog day in the courtyard, Michael O'Martian, you know, world-renowned producer, sure. good friend of mine, he would show up and we'd all kibitz and we'd joke. And I mean, it was just, Dino and I would just look at each other and not say a word and just go, man, this is so happening. <laughs> you know, there, there was one day in, that we had... Springsteen in one room, Faith Hill in another, and Julio Iglesias in another room. Wow. And our, Dino and I's offices were upstairs. And I walked into his office and I just said, just, is this not cool, man? Think of the people that are in our building right now. Right. And, right. you know, again, we look at each other and go, this is really cool. I mean, a couple of dummies like us pulled this off. 
Yeah. Well, a couple of a couple of knuckleheads from California. But but don't you think you did you pull it off because you guys had a cool space, you had a cool set of parents that would cook, or because that you came into it with real credentials that you could produce and you knew the equipment to get that everybody wanted? Because this must have been at the very forefront of Pro Tools, right? Yes, uh, um, we came in with just enough credentials. We didn't come in yep. like, let's say, the owner of the record plant who really knows the studio business. Right. We sort of were the Costco of studios. You know, our, our, our prices mm-hmm. were reasonable. Uh, but we love studios. Dino and I have always loved studios. And we, we have recorded in enough studios to know what we want when we go into a studio. And what we put in that building was exactly what we would want. A fun place to record, cool lounges. Every lounge had a video game or whatever you wanted. Wow. Um, yeah. Or multiple video games. But um, yeah, Pro, Pro Tools is the reason we sold it. Yeah. Nothing against Pro Tools. I use it a lot. Yeah. But I saw the trend in about 04, and I called our whole staff, or most of our staff, uh, and, and I said, guys, we can't keep up with this anymore. I mean, we're losing all our overdub business. Everybody's going home to do vocals. Everybody's going home with their Pro Tools ready to cut guitars and keyboards. Mm-hmm. They're not, they don't need us for that anymore. Right. And we watched business. It didn't tank, but it, uh, it... You could feel the trend. Oh, yeah. We could feel the trend, very much so. Were all your studios Pro Tools back in the late 90s then? That early, you know, when Pro Tools was not was super expensive or were you just doing analog type stuff no we had lots of digital i mean there were a lot of things that, that, yeah, that okay. came out before pro tools there were uh we used to use a thing called the radar which was a 24 track uh hard drive basically okay but pro tools made it so easy to edit and do all these cool things right but we made it we made a decision not to buy six pro tool pro tools rigs because pro tools was changing their stripes about every two years Yep. To the tune of about thirty grand per unit. Exactly. And I just didn't want to get in that race. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want to. I just didn't want to enter that race. Every every year and a half. Oh, here comes Pro Tools three. Here comes Pro Tools four. Right. You know, Pro Tools no more. We're out of this business. <laughs> so we sold we we sold it and never looked back. And by the way, if I was recording into my studio right now, I'd be using Digi Double O One. That's what I'm living in because all, all all I need it for is voice work. Oh, that's that's great. Honestly, it still works great, and I've left Panther on my whatever it is. It's a tower. It's a Mac tower that's <laughs> what probably 13 years old, and that is the only thing I do on that. That's it. Is I just record whatever voiceover stuff that I'm doing, and it still sounds great. And oh, the and I, the, the cross otherwise the I, crossfade I, device I, is the best thing ever invented. Oh man, no kidding. <laughs> No kidding. And I remember when I really wanted to have some, uh, I wanted to use some scratches and uh, some echo plug-in thing too, but they were like $800 each and I went, Oh, I know. You know just for, I mean, plug-ins were so crazy back in the back in the day. I'm sure you probably had all of them. But. And, 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 and this is where I ran into the problems I was talking about earlier, Frank, is, is yeah. when I upgraded my Pro Tools rig, a lot of or most of my plug-ins weren't compatible. Oh, right. Yeah, that kind of junk. Yeah. And it was crashing my system. It was going, you know, we don't like Pro Tools 10. Right. You know, we were built for Pro Tools 6. You know right. what I'm saying? And it was, man, it was a disaster. Right. Hey, have you seen the uh, the Sound City documentary? 
No. Got to see it. It's great. That's what I, I mean, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, I mean, besides, I, I will say that you know, I am. I am. I'm, that's one of my goals because a lot of my friends have told me about that. And reading yeah. Jeff Emmerich's book on the Beatles is another is another. Oh, really? Bucket okay. list thing. Yeah. Near it's future just, bucket list. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting to listen to Dave Grohl talk about. You know, he wants kind of what we were talking we were talking about with your daughter and and my kids about you know texting and everything is just you know again recording your vocals on your laptop at home and all this kind of stuff he wants people to get together and you know record music and in his mind if you do it on this analog machine then even better right but but it is it's 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 an interesting doc and i I would think it'd be great for you coming from the really from the inside you know so you know dino said something i thought was pretty clever once he said you know, in the old days, they used to document a performance in the studio. Nowadays, you sort of have to create a performance with a mouse in your hand. Right. You know? Right. I don't know if Roundabout would have sounded quite the same with a Pro Tools rig. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, well, in, <laughs> but have you, have you seen, and again... I, I know you know the the ins and outs of music, but you know they'll a b stuff on uh, you know they'll show pictures of the of like roundabout and they'll show where the quiet parts are because I'm really into an article that I probably read five or six years ago now about um, um, your ears get tired of listening because every sound is a, is like a brick, you know every, even the smallest sounds. So if you put roundabout from my a digital copy of roundabout or if you play the um, the LP, you know, the the record mm-hmm. uh, of Roundabout, and and record it digitally and show and show the wave pattern. You'll see that they're almost. I can't say they're two entirely different songs, but you know, well, it's crazy the amount of compression that you guys lived in. You know, I mean, you just compressed everything up to the yin yang, and it's like, okay, but I'll tell you what, when I'm biking an hour and a half, after a while, I take my earbuds out just because, and I don't even know why. I love music, but I wonder if my ears actually get tired because of. Every sound is the exact same volume. Uh, you're so, exactly right. I think. I mean, I have a turn. I'm looking at a turntable in the other room right there because my 11 year old son listens to nothing but records. Wow. He's got a record player set up right there, and he's been buying records over the internet. I mean, off of eBay. Wow. He just brought. Yes, it's fragile. He bought some old Kansas stuff. Um, he wants Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> wow. Wow. And yeah. I'll tell you, I listen to some of these records, man. That I know very, very well. And they they are bigger than life on LP, man. They they sound humongous. It's like the band is set up in my front room. And you listen to you listen to a, a CD, and although it sounds good, and you know, we're very accepting of them because they're so simple. Man, they are they are so squashy. And so I could see how they'd hurt your ears. Well, yeah, yeah. Hurt's a big word, but the thing that well one, I'm a little bit bummed because I probably had, I don't know. You know, when I was working in the radio business, you know, we'd get all the records we wanted, and I was always a music whore. I thought. I mean, I love. I literally loved music. I didn't take records home just to have the record. I took it home because I really wanted to hear the record. And I think about how many. I probably have twenty-five records left because I just gave them all away, and I'm sad about it now. Right? It's like, but I thought I'm. Once you start moving crates of records, you decide I'm never moving another crate of records. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? Think, think, think of it. How cool it would be! I know to have that entire room plastered wall to wall, all your old records. I know, dude. 
You'd walk in that room and you'd go, wow, oh, I remember that one, man. Remember that, you know. I'm pissed. I'm pissed. That Starship record, you know. You're right, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't have a Starship. I'd have a Jefferson Airplane. I don't know about a Starship. Oh, man. I, I just don't. <laughs> but see, will somebody be having this conversation 30 years from now going, wow, I used to have all those CDs, and now I wish I had all those CDs, but I got rid of them all because blah, blah, blah. I don't. You know what I mean? Because I'm telling well, you, when CDs I, came around, it was like, it's like a, it was like heaven, right? I mean, now I can listen to this thing in my car with awesome fidelity and blah blah blah. Except for again, and I, I throw you under the bus when it goes. You guys were compressing the hell out of everything. I mean, I I, I don't know. Rec- records are just so cool. Yeah, well, I think C- I think CDs are already on their way out. Well, I, I'm sure they are, right? I mean, well, and that's the thing too is now I'm listening. To, I listen to everything on MP3. I mean, yeah. You know? I mean, I'm really surprised that, you, that you're not, instead of buying a CD, that you're not just buying a thumb drive. Yeah. You know, and putting that in your, and putting that in your car. And because with a, a thumb drive, you've got enough memory to fit videos, right. all kinds of, you know, the making of the record. I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, that, that's what I... Yeah, I, well, I'm... I mean, if everything is going to go the way of, you know, sort of the Spotify world, where or the cloud world, you know, where I'm just going to have access to whatever music I want, then I guess, right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, right, the the thing is, is that what you write and what you record comes from your heart, and somehow it gets into my heart. At one time, it used to be a record, mm-hmm. then it was a CD, now it's going to be through Spotify or whatever, right? How how does how does how do our hearts connect? That's I do understand it's the song. It really isn't how the the delivery mechanism. But I do also understand that there is something beautiful about holding a record and reading the lyrics. <laughs> that I, I miss. agree. No, I, I like. I agree with what you said about a song too. It's it's yeah. no no matter what the device is you're listening to it on. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You know, the Beatles are always going to be great. I don't care what you're yeah. listening to at all. Well, and the thing is, too, not to completely belabor this, John, but it's like most of my listening for me now is done, if it isn't done for my work reasons, it's done on my bike or in my car, and it's almost like I'm only hearing... I have so many other sound distractions anyway. Where do I go with that, you know? so Yeah, that's true. So... Anyway, can we talk about, let's talk about Kansas for a minute. Sure, you, um, sure. I read on your website that Sammy Hagar did not get the job. I wish I would have banged his balls on that for not getting the job when I interviewed him a couple of years ago. But uh, I, I, You know what? I never even knew that he auditioned. Yeah. Until later. Uh, until later. The, the, the guys in the band never mentioned him to me. Yeah. Ever. Mm. Uh I ended up becoming friends with Sammy Hager shortly after I left Kansas. We 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 had the same manager. Oh, Carter, Ed Leffler. Oh, that, yep. Ed, he died, in, I think, the early two thousands. But, yep. um, I the guys in the band they never. I I always used to prod, try to prod from the who'd you guys audition? Who'd you, you know? And they gave me a handful of guys, and one of the guys was the guy that did Jesus Christ Superstar. I forget his name. Yeah. Much better looking guy than me. <laughs> uh, he had those, you know. You know, those, those those blue eyes that knock girls out and yeah, oh, I forget his name, but he didn't he didn't get the gig. They they chose me for some reason. But uh, no, I I never knew about the whole Sammy Hager thing yeah. until a couple of years ago. Oh really? That's funny. No, That's I funny. didn't. 
But what what was it to replace, you know, a band that's pretty close to the top of their game and to replace the lead singer? How was it on your side of the fence? I mean, extreme, extremely difficult to fill those shoes. Yeah, how, here's a guy. Here's a guy that I idolize as one of my favorite singers ever. You know, he was right up there with yeah. the Lou Graham and the Brad Delps and Robert Plants and you know. I mean, filling his shoes, man, yep. was almost, um, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, yeah, yeah I'll, take right. the, I'll take the gig. And, and I, don't, I don't say that remorsefully, but um, right. of course I took the gig, but I mean, I was a Steve Walsh fan. And, but, you know, but I must say it was uh, being with the band Kansas has opened so many doors in my life. I mean, the short time that I spent with that band has been such a huge part and still is. People want, people, you know, I get invited to sing yeah. at all kinds of events, sing some Kansas stuff, sing a few Kansas things. You know, it, it's like, it right. was such a huge part of, you know, it, it's that credibility, credibility you talked about earlier of having just enough for people just yeah. to know who we were Oh, that's the guy that's saying, okay, okay. He must know something. Um, wrong. <laughs> so will they actually ask you to, to sing Dust in the Wind in songs that you were not a part of? I do all, I do all the time. Oh, you do all the time, Well, All the time. Forgive, forgive me for, uh, for saying that. And, they, and you know what? They love it. They don't care. They don't, they don't, yeah. Right. It, 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 it doesn't matter that I wasn't the original guy that sang that. They just want to hear it. Yeah. And... I did my own version of Dust in the Wind yep. five or six years ago. Yep. It was actually re recorded live. Mm. I had to fix a few of the vocals. I mean, it was... <laughs> you had to. <laughs> I had to. I couldn't take it. But uh, yeah, it was recorded live. We were, we were just messing around in the studio one day while we were doing a session. And the band just started breaking into Dust in the Wind instead of the guitar being spelled out. You know the the main part of dust being spelled out with a guitar. Mm -hmm. The keyboard part, the keyboard player started playing it. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's a cool, that's a cool thing. I mean, it's, you know, that part's being spelled out on a keyboard instead of an acoustic guitar. Right. And then it built to this big, you know, I mean, these were such awesome musicians. It built to this big fever pitch, kind of like more of like a journey type mm -hmm. anthem. Mm -hmm. So, that's my version of Dust in the Wind, and that's the version that I sing. Yeah. Hey, did you write most of the lyrics on Vinyl Confessions and, and um, uh, Drastic Measures? A good portion of them, yeah. So let me ask you about Play the Game tonight. Is, mm -hmm. is, I, I guess it's like your dreams are coming true, but be careful what you wish for, right? Because even being the lead singer on stage with the spotlight on you might turn into a job. <laughs> You know what, uh, Carrie? I think Carrie wrote the lyric to that. You know, that's Did he? Okay. that song was originally written. The original title of that song was "Stay, Stay with Me Tonight," mm. and the band decided that this isn't a Kansas lyric. You know, although the band was in desperate need of a hit, um, it's a Chicago lyric. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought Carrie did a good job of, of uh, reworking that lyric into something that fit Kansas. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think I have to explain the lyric. I think you, you just did. Yeah. <laughs> and how about uh, uh, Fair Exchange? I thought that was really looking forward 
with your you're on file on our computer. We know what's best for you. We'll provide our we'll provide the solution. It's yeah, that that lyric is is somewhere in Carrie Livgren brilliance. Oh, okay. I mean I'll just tell you the story real quick. This is the way I describe Carrie Livgren. He probably has an IQ of 160. Okay. But he will not find his car in the parking lot. <laughs> he will have to call a cab. And I, I love that man to death. But Carrie is so incredibly intelligent. It, it's He's scary intelligent. Wow. You know, just listen to the lyric, you know, the lyrics in some of the songs, you know, The Wall and... Right. Portrait, and I mean, it's yeah. pretty obvious how intelligent the guy is. But yeah, did he write most he, of uh, the Point of No Return, the lyrics, and the whole vibe of that record? Uh, nobody ever sat me down and told me exactly, you know, when it said Walsh Livgren or Livgren Walsh. But I know the way Kerry writes, and I know his DNA song. I would say that if I had to guess, I'd say eighty percent of that stuff was Kerry. I just remember when I got that record. Um, when you know, I saw the word K N O W, and I'm like, the point of no return. And I was, I was, I was just at the right age to think. Yeah, you know, to go. What I get the imp- I get the impression think? that that wasn't as thought out as people think it was. Yeah, real, but it still made me think. For yeah, whatever well, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, right. I, I just I get the impression. I mean, Philly Hart, the drummer in that band, is 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 also a genius. Where Phil, where Phil is brilliant and where he shines is he understands the brand of Kansas. He's the one that thought mm-hmm. out all those covers, those really cool covers like Mask. And, right. And uh, and I never even had this conversation. Next time I talk, in fact, I'll have to email him and ask him that question if that was an afterthought when they when they were doing the credits, if they used K-N-O-W instead of N-O-W mm. or N-O. Um, I have a feeling it was probably that was a Phil thing. Oh really? I mean, Phil liked to intrigue the the listener and the uh, he knew the fans of Kansas very well. I mean, he understood the brand. Well, you know, even when you go back, I I, I was I was never a huge um, old Kansas fan, but when I do hear a song or something, I kind of there's always sort of a spiritual tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And maybe that's where whether they whether it was a, a, a calculated marketing uh, idea or if it was really where they were at going yeah you know what let's just let's just put in KNOW and see how that see how that looks on the cover yeah how about diamonds and pearls off that record I, uh that that's that's probably my favorite song on that record yeah i mean just watch yourself right or you're going to get sucked into materialism happens it happens <laughs> Uh, it happens all the time. It's happened to me. Sure. Many times. You know, I had to go out and have the... I had to go out and have the... Uh, if one body style was changed on my Porsche, I had to go out and get the new one. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I gave, I gave up my car, <clears throat> my car habit, though, a long time ago. It's, it's yeah. got really expensive. It is amazing that there's something inside of us that has this insatiable hunger to always keep moving forward and... Whether it's the Porsche, or the studio equipment, or whatever, right? I mean, we just get sucked into that that world, and I don't know how, how I don't know how you step out of it. I mean, it's really hard, isn't it? I mean, you almost have to go cold turkey on the Porsche. <laughs> cold turkey on the Porsche. Cold, yeah, nice. exactly. I, I saw somebody's Facebook avatar the other day. <laughs> it just made me laugh. It was it was a it was a Hearst pulling a 
pulling out of this big trailer. You yeah. Know? Like, you, you can take it with you. <laughs> <laughs> if only, right? I just thought the picture was funny. <laughs> if only. But that's the world. I mean, even the song that I, that the song Face It, when you realize whatever it is, whether it's the Porsche or the world's, the world's all out of whack, you got to stand up and face the moment or the situation or mm-hmm. yourself. That's right. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, those were, uh, those were fun records to make, no doubt. And were you, um, I was stressed out constantly, but they were fun. <laughs> but were you were you were you in, on your spiritual path then? I became a Christian when I was twenty years old. I think I joined Person. Kansas when I was twenty three. Um, yeah. Uh, it went to my head. I fell off the wagon a little bit. Fell, fell off the wagon. Yeah, I did. I I thought I was a little too cool for school for a while. Uh, I was digging myself a little too much. And uh, I'll never for, I'll, I, I, I want to tell you this because I'll never forget this moment in my life. Um, we had just got through playing one of these big outdoor festivals, huge. Ario Speedwagon, I, I think Foreigner was there. I mean, all the biggest rock names, and this was, was probably 83, 84-ish. Yeah. And this place was packed, Frank. I mean, there was 60,000 people. There had to be. And I think our set was about an hour long, and my voice had never been better, man. It was something about that day, and the humidity was just right. And I was hitting notes that, like, like where did that come from? And I was, I was just so on. And it was such a great show, and I, I think we blew everybody away, man. I mean, Kansas was a great band. And I went back to the hotel room, and our road manager was the kind of guy that used to like to put us in roach motels. We didn't go back to the Ritz. Kansas was not a Ritz-Carlton band. Yeah. Kansas was a Motel 6 band. Okay. So we go back to our Motel 6, and I walk, you know, I'm, I'm, I think we went on at night or something, and I, and I had an early flight the next morning. We, had, we were playing in a, in a smaller town, so we needed a connecting flight. And I walk by this junky mirror, and I think... I just might have had my boxers on. And I walked by the mirror and I looked at myself in the mirror. And I said, two hours ago, I'm this guy on stage that 70,000 people are looking at, thinking like, wanting to be me, thinking that is so cool. Listen to that guy sing, man. He's like the singer of a huge rock and roll band. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. And I just, you know, it was quite funny. I just looked at myself and went, what a schmuck. You know, it's like I just went, these people think I'm such a big deal, but I'm such a normal, everyday knucklehead that, you know, God chose to do something with, you know, and I was honored at, at all that. But, you know, I looked at myself. I mean, this is a true story. I looked at myself in the mirror and I just said, you know, what a contrast. Mm. This is a serious, serious contrast here. Those people, those 70 people, 70,000 people, they don't know about this part. That, you know, I'm in, I'm in there. All the guys are, you know, all doing their own thing in their rooms. I really didn't have any any friends, out, you know, out on the road. So I'm just kind of passing time, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a contrast, man. Yeah. 
because you know, I was never a big partier, so I wasn't out. I wasn't out partying, or you know, I was just yeah. trying to get some sleep so I can hit the notes the next night. You know, struggling to get to sleep. And then, and then you write the song "Everybody's My Friend" off of uh, Drastic Measures. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a that's a pretty true story. I mean, I had friends come out of the woodwork that I I had no idea who they were, but they knew who I was. And I'll never forget we were playing the Universal Amphitheater, and there was a guy that um, he was a booking agent. He never thought our band was good enough to book into the best clubs in in Southern California. And he's he's at the back door of the Universal Amphitheater begging to get in. And Dino's, you know, Dino, that big personality that I spoke about earlier. Yep. Yep. Dino's back there. He's all right. Let him in. Let him in. And he sees this this guy that. Uh, would never book our band in the clubs. Don't let him in. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all of a sudden the guy's my friend. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I, I did get phone calls and I got, you know, before the call, days of caller ID, so people would just get my number and, hey, John, uh, I, you guys are playing at the amphitheater, man. Hey, can, 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 you, get, uh, can you get me nine tickets? Yeah. <laughs> And in those days, tickets were only what? Right, exactly. Fifteen bucks. I have a poster down in my studio, Kansas Heart, um, um, the metal, uh, the the it was Long Island, New York. What's the name of the arena there? Um, I want to say the Meadowlands. Okay. Ticket pr- ticket price is twelve to fifteen dollars. Right. Yeah. I'm going. Oh my gosh! This thing, I have thing. I, I I took my wife on her anniversary a couple of years ago to see the Eagles. I think I paid two fifty a ticket. Two hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. I can't do it. I can't. I can't face that price. I just don't want. I just don't think any one event is worth that amount. But I wanted to go to a Broadway play a couple of years ago, and good seat tickets were three hundred fifty bucks. And I went. I can't spend seven hundred dollars for two tickets for my wife and I to spend two and a half hours doing something. Exactly. I can't do no, it. I, it was if it wasn't my if it wasn't for my anniversary and how bad my wife wanted to see the Eagles, I wouldn't have went. Yeah, there you go. But uh, I th- well, that's when you got to start making all your calls, dude. Listen, hey, I, whoever was in your whoever was in the sound kitchen with Springsteen knows somebody to get you a couple seats at the Eagles. You know what? It's almost it's, it's almost an unspoken thing now. There are no more comps. I know. It, no, it's comp, true. Comp tickets are those days are gone. No, no, and I mean, I, I know people that can get me tickets, but I'll they'll ask me for my credit card. Oh, seriously? Oh, yeah. The, the ticket thing that makes me crazy is. Um, is yeah, I used to get tickets to anything and everything to the point now where the other reason is is that I don't need to see any show ever again because I've seen everybody and everything, you know. So that's why tickets don't have a lot of value for me. But if they can keep selling, if Tom Petty can sell tickets for 175 bucks in Grand Rapids, Michigan, then and he's the guy who who keeps ticket prices low, if you will. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just crazy, and that and that's a. We're what market seventy or something like that. So if they can put in fifteen thousand people here, I can't. I can't imagine there not being room for a comp. But people got it. You know what? I I I did get comps for. I don't know how I got them. Dino called me the day of, and said I've got two tickets for the uh, Roger Waters The Wall. Oh yeah, right. I said, and I wasn't that big of a Wall record fan. I was. I'm I'm much more prone to some of their earlier records. Yeah. I thought that record was a little corny actually. In times, but mm-hmm. 
I wanted to go to I wanted to go to see see the show yep. and to hear Comfortably Numb. Yep. Which yep. is in my top ten favorites. Um, and those are the those are the last comps I got. But what a show that was! Wow. Uh, I, I saw that show too, and I I was given the ticket, but only for a guy who bought the ticket. So he, it wasn't a comp. He had a suite and uh, never a Wall fan. And I would say to you now, I thought the Wall was more serious. I'll say, I I was never a Pink Floyd fan, so I never even bought the Wall. But I thought it was corny now because I thought the things that he's singing about at age, what, 65 with $200 million in his bank account, and he's talking about the man keeping you down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I caught that. I don't know how you can do that with a straight face anymore. No. So I thought it, I thought it was more cornball. Now, and now cornball is a really big word. I thought it was more corny now than it was when it was written when maybe he was 25 or 30 years old going, yeah, you know what, there's a problem out in the world, and how are we going to – you know, deal with it. Uh, so. I I agree, but some of those some of those special effects were awfully cool, weren't they? Though I oh, mean, yeah. I will say the the when the plane I was right by the by the side where the plane comes crashing through the wall, and I went, "Wow, dude, that's <laughs> that's kick ass." It was yeah, it was very <laughs> very cool, very cool, and 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 the band was awfully good too. Yeah, how did you, how much you think production was on that on that show? Two hundred thousand dollars. Each night. Oh gosh! When I looked down and saw, there was a pit. Did you did you see the pit of all the people operating computers and stuff? Yep. Um, it's crazy. I, I would say at least that. At least but, right. So, but you know, when you're selling eighteen thousand tickets at an average price of two hundred eighty dollars a piece, yeah, that could that could more than pay that two hundred fifty grand to have that production. Right, and then. You know, and he I, comes in. I think he needs. He comes in three days prior to right. set up that show. He books the arena for three days. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, at least go. two or three days to set that thing up. Yeah. Well, the um, I, I sat right near the wall, right near the side, and I was watching them on lifts putting up. You know, as they built the wall during the the event, because it didn't feel like a concert to me. You know what I mean? Almost felt like an, an event, which made me feel happy because. Concert schmoncert, if you will. I mean, everybody can do a concert, and this guy held an event, so I thought that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, but to watch the guys on their lifts, there was four or five guys just working the entire, well, not the entire show, but the entire first uh, half of the show. You know, building those, putting up those the bricks. You know, and it was like that in and of itself. You know, had to take some logistics. You know, oh yeah, because everybody's arena is a little bit different. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it was crazy. So. So, beyond looking beyond the wall, back into your world, my friend. Mm -hmm. How about the song "Play On"? Um, you know, and I, I I I had this really cool piece of music, and um, usually, you know, everything I had already had lyrics. But that song had no lyrics when I wrote it, and I said, "Gosh, what a honor it would be for Kara to collaborate on a song with me." So I gave the song over to Kerry, like with a rough melody, and he wrote the lyric. Oh wow. And um, that was really cool. So he was he was a god guy at this time too, right? Yeah, very much so. So, so was Dave Hope, bass player. Yeah. Dave Hope is now a priest. Hmm. He's a priest. A priest? He wears the cloth. Wow. He's an Anglican. Nice. And, and I think I'm saying that right. He lives down in Destin, Florida. He's been there for over 20 years with his wife. He's very happy. There's no desire to tour or be on stage anymore. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, 
you know, Destin, Florida is one of the prettiest places in the in the country. Is it really? Oh gosh. So I guess I guess if you're going to be a priest, That's Destin, good Florida, good place to do it. That's where they shot the movie The Truman Show. Oh, oh, do you not love that movie? But that's that's that that village there. Oh, that's that that's that's um, that's a couple miles from where he lives. That's no, that's a place called that's a place called um, um, well, well I, I forget the name yeah. of that little village, but that that's exactly what it looks like. No kidding! Wow. I mean, they didn't have to change a thing. Hey, so the the song Crossfire, which was the last song on that record, I think it's about life being confusing and. There's God's grace out there and all that, but throughout mm-hmm. all of this record and and these sort of lyrics that I thought were uplifting and dealing with the innerness of all of us, did you think you were hitting? I mean, yeah, you thought you were a big deal. Get beyond that. But did you think also you were hitting um, something on the inside of people that meant something more than just being in a rock band? Was there no some, doubt there was that kind of I, type of consciousness? There's, there's no doubt, and and and, and I realized that many years after I left the band. Mm. I'd run into people and they said, that record turned my life around. I mean, for real. Yeah. And I still hear it to this day. I mean, just look on my Facebook wall. People people will mention it at least once a day. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, from the way it was told to me, there's a song in Crossfire, there's a lyric in Crossfire, till you face the one that rose, or the one who rose. Till you face the one, yeah, till you face the one who rose. And from what I understand from the guys in the band, that's the line that, that Steve Walsh would not sing. Mm. And that's when he, that's when he abruptly left the band, what I envision a little bit like when, in Spinal Tap, when, remember at the, at the, <laughs> At, they were at the, playing in, in the in the hangar. Yeah, and he throws his guitar down and abruptly quits the band. Yes, I kind of picture a scene like that. He looks at the lyrics and he sees "Till You Face the One Who Rose." Looks over at Carrie, stares at him for a minute, and walks out. <laughs> <laughs> but he he pointed at Janine too, didn't he? Uh, you know, oh, yeah, and blame part and blame part of it on her. Part of oh the, yeah, yeah, she was kind of yeah. Yoko-ish, you know. Yeah, next thing she's in the band playing tambourine. <laughs> yeah. Every every yeah. every band's got a Janine. Yeah. And I mean to sound yeah. chauvinist, but Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> what uh I don't know what it means when you finally I know what it means when you get to your wits end, but you know I assume that I don't know this I've never met Steve Walsh at all, but I'm I'm assuming that I'm the lead singer of a band, I'll just go start my own new band. Because I can't, I don't have the same. It's not that easy. Yeah, well, obviously it isn't, right? You know, it's just not. I mean, he tried it with Band Streets, that yeah. you know but had yeah. had a tiny bit of success, but yeah, it's it's not that. I mean, even uh, even Steve Perry when he when he left Journey and had the solo thing, right? Or maybe it was during that, but it never took off. Like well, I he, assume he, he thought he was, it would, right? You know, he was he was just a song. He wasn't a band. It was just he was about a couple of. He had a couple of big hits, but there was really no, right. You know, there was right. no brand built like Journey. Yeah. Did you write um, "Fight Fire with Fire"? Yes. I guess I guess it's a great song from the from the opening riff, right? Even when I'm on my bike and it comes up on my iPod, <laughs> it's like, dude, this can make me pedal faster. This makes me feel like 
I can fight for whatever I'm fighting for, whether it's myself or uh, or bigger issues that I've got going on, or the or the world even has going on. You know, you know, Mike Tyson used to used to use that as his, as his introduction song. Oh, did he? Yeah, I used, to, I used to get these royalties from, you know, his company that uh, I guess he was using the song. Nice. You should have had him in the video then. Oh man, got to think about these things, man. I should have been your manager back then, I guess. <laughs> Where's Ali? Where's Where's uh, Tyson? A lot of would have, should have's in my life. I, I'll never forget when we toured with Survivor and when we played in Chicago. Mr. T came to one of the shows. Did he? Mr. T and uh, Stallone, both of them. Wow. And I felt really, really good, and I'm going to tell you why. Because both those guys are short, just like I am. Mr. <laughs> T's only he was a little, I think, a little shorter than me. I'm I'm a little over five seven. Okay. Mr. Steed, Mr. T stood maybe all of five six. Really? And Sylvester Stallone is probably about 5'8". Yeah. I mean, these are small guys. I thought yeah. they were, like, huge, you know? Sure. And I walked by him, and I went, wow, man, I guess I'm you know, not that short. <laughs> if, Mr. If, you know, if Mr. T's shorter than I am. Well, what, I, I'm six foot, and I'm saying to you, what is it with all you small guys who want to beat the hell out of us, right? You said you used to get in a lot of fights, so <laughs> maybe that's part of it. It's like if you're, if you're, if you're a quote-unquote a small guy, you got to defend yourself from the... From the word go. I never had the small man complex, though. I just I just never did. I don't even know what that, that means. I know some people do have it, but I never I never had it. I thought there was really an interesting line, and earlier you talked about something uh, that struck with me, standing alone in a crowded room. I, I just, I'm still there at times. Even when I'm at a show and I'm doing an interview and I go out and watch a few bands for a while, and it's like... That kind of harkens back to that story I told you about the mirror. Right. You know? You know, when, you, when you're around all these people, I mean, you're standing alone in a crowded room, yeah. Hey, and that was a, uh, was that was that real life going on with Mainstream, the song about the basically music business where people are telling you, you know, keep it simple and... I th yeah, I, th just I think Carrie was, I think Carrie, that's right where Carrie's head was at the time. Yeah. You know, he thought that Kansas was, was starting to become overly commercial for the sake of being commercial. Yeah. But, you know, bands were being forced to. You know, I mean, MTV had hit the market hard. And yeah. it wasn't about the album anymore. It was about the single, right? That's what... That, or indoor the video. Yeah, which was the single, usually. Right. And, you know, and, and that that's... Uh, it was kind of a bummer, man, because some of the best records were, you know, album-oriented, as you, if you will, AOR. Album-oriented rock. Yes, AOR. And then video came along, and suddenly, you know. Okay, let me jump to Mastodon with, a, with an E, <laughs> if you will. If you will. Yeah, that, that's one of those no-return things. Mastodon, um, it was a typo. I, I I said, hey, let's call this thing Mastodon, and I wrote it down with, and I used an E, uh -huh. and it just stayed. Oh, really? Yeah. Sim, it was it was birthed out of a typo. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. If hey, it worked, it worked. Although when I typed in Mastodon um, uh, on Google, it really wants to force me to go to the uh, the band that's out there now. That is Radio. Right. Really wants me to find them. Yes, doesn't want, absolutely. Doesn't want me to find you. This is the day, probably another one of those songs that when it comes up on my uh, on my pedaling ventures up and down hills makes me uh, 
makes me go faster. So, hmm. but that's really about surrendering, surrendering to God. Yes. I mean, it's 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 the day of our reunion. It's there's a, there's there's a time in my life where, like I said, man, I was full of myself, and I had to get back on track. And it's a good thing I had people around me that loved me that, you know, would say, "Listen to yourself, man." I mean, you know, who, who do you think you are? I mean, I'm I'm from a pretty tough Italian family. I didn't get away with much. Yeah. If I started getting out of line, I mean, my old man would say, "Hey, what's the matter with you?" Yeah. You know. <laughs> what's the matter with you? <laughs> get out of this kitchen. My my dad was not, never a respecter of persons. He would he walked right in the control room with Julio Iglesias. And he looked right at Julio and said, man, this food's getting cold. I love that. I mean, it was like the, the food was ready like, you know, half an hour ago. And Julio still hadn't entered the dining room yet. My dad went into the control room and said, man, this food's getting cold. Wow. He didn't care if it was Julio or Paul McCartney. The food is getting cold. <laughs> Richie Sambora, my parents spent all day cooking for. Right. And... He's on his way down, and he gets to the studio, and somebody forgot to give him the memo that my parents were cooking this huge seven-course Italian meal for him. He gets to the studio, and he has the nerve to tell everybody sitting there that he stopped at Taco Bell on the way back from the airport. Mm. My, dad, my dad looked at him, and I can't repeat in this interview what he said. <laughs> but, but let me tell you, when my dad did say it right to Zambora, yeah. he, Zambora laughed his head off. Yeah. I mean, not disrespectfully, but like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Elefante. But he, he laughed because, you know, he's also Italian. He, he totally got how, how ticked my, my dad was. Yeah. You know, you dummy stopping at Taco Bell. We got all this beautiful food here. You're stopping at, you know. Yeah, and there right. Were, there, were a few, uh, there were a few bleeps in there. Yeah. Well, that's fair, right? I mean, you work your ass off for something, even if it's in the <laughs> kitchen or wherever, right? You want people to appreciate your work. Oh yeah, you know? my my parents took a lot of pride in what they cook. I didn't mean to get off track there with you. No, that's no, that's cool. Hey, but what? I, I, all of a sudden, when you said something there about anyway, I'm I'm wondering why did you leave Kansas? Did they ask you to leave? No, they didn't ask me to leave. I quit. They tried to, but did they you, tried to sue me to you, stay? Well, you said you were too big for yourself. Did you have to leave for yourself on the inside? No, I I left because. Because Kerry left. Mm -hmm. If Kerry would have stayed, I would have stayed. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was, he was, I mean, you, you can't, you, you know, you don't have much of a Kansas without Kerry Livgren. Right. right. I mean, let's face it, man. He's, I mean, Philly Hart was the brains behind the branding of the band, but Kerry was the brains behind the music. Right. And we were all really disappointed, including me, especially on Drastic Measures. It's like, where's Kerry, man? Right. I want more Carrie. I didn't care if I had one song on that record. I loved singing the songs that he wrote. Yeah. I wanted to sing Carrie Livgren songs. I mean, he always wrote awesome lyrics, awesome melodies, just great stuff. And I mean, that's why I was, that's, you know, that's why I wanted to hang around. But when he left, it, I mean, it's like there's not much for me here anymore. And did you think, or was there ever an, uh, a discussion about doing uh, the AD project with him? Um, he invited me into the studio to do some stuff. On, on those projects, but um, no, I, I think he wanted uh, he wanted to step out and try something totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the Mastodon world, let's uh, let's talk about a few songs. Get up. Yeah. I, 
just trying to make sense of everything, right? And then deciding you, you need to stand up for what you believe in or your beliefs or something, right? You know what? It's been so long since I've written that, Frank, that... Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's been so long since I've even listened to it, believe it or not. <laughs> um, you know what? I, 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 I have to almost read the lyric to tell you what I was saying. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say what I highlighted here. City, city lights, they blind you and how they, how they hypnotize you. The good life all night's all part of the machine with, with, uh, uh, with one in control and something about to explode. So, yeah, that's cool. The other song that I really wanted to ask about is uh, Love That Will Survive off of that record. Yes. Um, again, I think it's more of this. Uh, yeah, that love's going to save you for sure, obviously, in the lyric, but, but trying to make sense of it, too, and trying to figure out how you get through it, you know? I think it's... I mean, just the, op the opening lyrics are, all my life I've been looking for something, yeah. standing in line, waiting, waiting for my time, searching for the real thing. It's hard to believe. I mean, I think it asks the question, you know, I need, um, I need a love that will survive. You know, there, 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 isn't, there isn't much on this earth that we could really put, you know, a lot of faith in. Yeah. Other, other, other than, in my opinion, the, the, the love of Christ and the love of the promise he gives us, which is eternity. Uh, eternity is a long time, man. Yeah. And that's the love that will survive that that song talks about. I mean, it, 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 it sounds like, you know, in doing this interview with, with you, Frank, it sounds like, and, you know, I might be guilty of it, of using, um, saying the same thing a, a lot, you know, over and over again, but just in a different way. And, you know, and I can honestly say I'm probably guilty of that. I, I don't, guilty is a big word, but... The fact of the matter is, is maybe these are the subject themes that I'm that we that we have both struggled with, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just connected somewhere between us, and and those are the things that I, that highlight out of my life. And because I I still think I should know more about, I guess I think I should have more faith is probably the word, but an understanding of it. You know what I mean? So. Mm -hmm. I still struggle. I still struggle with it, man. It's just life. I mean, and I like struggling with it for, you know, I like being able to, to, to think about things instead of deciding, oh, you know what? I already gave my 10% and I'll get to church X amount of times a year and I'll be in heaven. You know, I still think mm -hmm. about all this kind of junk. So, well, I think, you know, it's like my son who's 16. I mean, he's got questions and yep. I've got more. He he's got questions. I mean, you have questions. Uh, you know, it's it's okay to question something that big, man. Right, man. Uh, I I think that uh, you know I I think it's perfectly okay to question yeah. things things that are that are that huge. Yeah, I think more people and that's and that's huge. Yeah, I think there's more people do than not. And I, I honestly, I figure everything, all my conversations I'm having with you or with anybody I'm having with God at the same time. So, well. That's what I think. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting you bring that up because I'm I'm really going through that with with my son right now, and, and <laughs> I am I am your 16 year old son. That pretty hey was this a was this uh, from a true story when you wrote uh, Innocent Girl? Um, 
Yes, they're, they're, yeah, that, that, that was derived from a true story. Um, but it's, gosh, again, it's been so long. Yeah, okay. That I, I, that I, I really forget. Well, she know. had her name up in lights. Had a, she was a brand new queen, tear in her eye. She looked at the screen, blah, blah, blah. They found her on a bed, revolver in hand. Yeah, it, it, was, it was about somebody tragedy. that we knew that really went off the rails. Mm-hmm. And somebody that was, um, gosh, I, I, I just, I just don't recall the, um, you know, what, what the, um, yeah, it's fine. what the core of that that lyric was about. But I, I know it was, it was about somebody that we either knew or knew of that was where the uh, theme for that song came from, where the lyric came from. Well, let me hope that you can answer this question. Um, because I swear to you, I don't think I ever said the name of Lofk Audio, or however you pronounce it, when I was doing a radio show, because I didn't know how to pronounce it. I don't know what the word is, means, blah, blah, blah. So Lofk Audio? I finally have you. Tell me. Say it. Lofk Audio. That's, gosh, that's a long story. Okay. I mean, I... Uh. Is it? Okay. <laughs> We've gone long enough. As long as I know how let, to let pronounce me just, it. Let me just put it this way. Lafcadio was a was a character from a book written by a great children's author named I I forget his name but Lafcadio was the character in this book where he always wanted to be the king of the jungle but he wanted to rule with kindness he didn't want to rule oh. with and we found out in the 11th hour Frank that we were about to commit plagiarism or Steal a a a a, um, a trademarked character. Uh huh. Um, I don't think that I don't think that was his name. The name of the book was Lafcadio, and we I th- we thought the book okay. was PD that was public domain and out of print. But that's what Lafcadio. That's where Lafcadio was. This you know this 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 lion that was that was wanted to be kind, and we had a whole story insert that was going to go inside of the record to explain who Lafcadio was and. Mm. I had this whole thing written, and we got a we got a call from our uh, manager's wife. She said, "You better not put that story in there. I would leave any inference out to, because this guy could sue you." Really? And um, it was really a shame. And we had a whole different album cover. Everything was different. But you know, looking back in retrospect, it didn't it didn't hurt. And and wow, this is this is the cool thing about about fans that really read read into things that maybe aren't there i mean i, I there were there were hundreds hundreds and hundreds of people that thought it was lofc audio love of christ wait love of christ audio yep or yeah love of christ audio it made perfect yeah. sense to yeah, me right. and you know yeah. If I would have been a dishonest person, I would have said, "Yeah, that's 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 what Lafcadio is," because <laughs> it made a whole lot more sense than just the word Lafcadio. Right. But you know, it, it was really a shame we couldn't use the uh, the theme that um, we yeah. wanted to. But we right. we would have got sued. Okay, here's the songs I want to ask you about on this. Tell me about Life on the Line, where the world's a whacked out, dark place, and you got to give it to God to make sense of it. Maybe. Well. I can't talk about that song without telling you that there is a woman named Madge, M-A-D-G-E, mm-hmm. 
Hodges, who has given me permission to use her name, that wasn't contemplating she was going to commit suicide. And that song came on in her car, and she decided not to. She was going to turn into oncoming traffic. Mm. I still have I still have the the email she sent me, and she's she's become a a a friend. I mean, I've never met her in person, but she's become a sure. Let's call it a digital friend. I know that sounds cold, but um, that was a very very powerful song, man. That that was. Uh, I think I've received more more uh, emails and letters about that song and that record than any other song. Yeah. You know, Life on the Line. That, that, that's probably my favorite song on the record. It's just it's just amazing when you feel like on the inside you're dying, you know? And, and too many times it's probably not the biggest stuff in the world, but you take it like it's the biggest stuff and it just eats at you on the inside. And somehow you found that and... If it stopped her from steering left, hey, that that's that that's huge to me. I mean that that's that's humongous. I mean we've had we've had just in 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 our community here where my kids go to school and some other surrounding schools. I could I could think of three suicides in the last five years from from seventeen eighteen year old kids. It just felt like there was no hope, nothing left. Broke up with a girlfriend, got cut from the football team, whatever it was. You know, they they just couldn't even see as far as next week. Right. The, the pain was too much right now, and it's just... Yeah. I didn't mean to bring up that subject, but it's, you know... No, that's no, that's real stuff. I mean, and maybe that's why Taken Down Below, which is another song I wanted to talk about, when you think the whole world is a dark place, I guess I hope it's music, it's this song, it's some other song I don't care what it is that will help you reach out for help it's, it's, it's happened a lot and, and I'll tell you Frank that's the reason I'm still doing it I'm certainly not doing it for the money I can't make a living doing this yeah. I mean it's, it's impossible literally impossible you know and, and I get letters and I, I get you know just people just saying how much this song meant to them or how much that song meant to them or you know, and and it, there's been about three songs that I've written that have, um, where people have not committed suicide. There's a song called "Pass the Flame" on my Defying Gravity record, mm-hmm. where a guy was an elder in a church, and and his life was going, you know, picture perfect. And he wrote me this letter saying that you know he had an affair, he kind of, you know, abandoned his family, mm-hmm. and he was going to commit suicide. He was on his way to do it. And in his letter to me, now I've never I've never spoken to him, but in his letter to me he said that um, he got in his car and he had a Queen record was a Queen CD was was in the uh, was in the rotation. When he got in his car, on comes the song "Past the Flame," and um, he decided not to not to do himself in. Wow, well, you know it's letters like that, man, that really keep you going. I right. gotta tell you. Yeah. And it's even some of the lighter it's even some of the lighter letters where people just say, "Man, I just really really enjoy what you do, especially this new record, man. I was for yesterday for the first time I went on iTunes and I read all the comments. 75 mm-hmm. or eight. dangerous. No, not 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 really. Uh I've okay. stayed away from them in the past because they are dangerous. You know, but 
I think there were 73 or 75, and every one was a complete, and this is not me talking. I mean, this, these are other people talking. Sure, yeah. Every single one, Frank, was a praise of the record. Nice. Every single one had gave it five stars. I mean, that, that means a lot. I mean, I, I posted it on Facebook yesterday and, and you know, just thanking people for, yeah. for, for liking it. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, for taking the time to make a comment. Yeah, I mean, out of all 73, I looked at every one, every single one. Yeah. And every person went just beyond saying, oh, cool record, dude. Right. You know, they went, these, these are long comments. These, somebody took the time to, you know, to write a lengthy comment. Well, you say, you say. So that keeps, it keeps me going, man. I guess you say that you're not doing it to make a living, but I think you are doing it to keep living, right? It makes you want to live. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really the only thing that I do in my life that has an impact on a lot of people. And the older I get, the more I want to, you know, leave a legacy of, of, you know, helping people in some way. You know, um, it's, really, it's really the gift that God gave me to, right. to help people and, and, and to, you know, to give them something that they could hopefully last a little longer than some stupid, you know, song about a truck and a drunk. Well, I, and that's why you're right. I'm living for you, right? Yes. So, and and I, I, I got to tell you something about Mastodon, and, and and you know, Dave Amato is Dave Amato doesn't, you know, he's a guitar player in Ario Speedwagon now. Been there for longer than Rich Rath was there. He's been there 24 years, I believe. He's not a professed Christian. And Dave Amato sang the majority of the songs on that Lafcadio record. And those are some pretty straight-ahead vertical lyrics. Right. And I didn't think he was going to do it when he read the lyric. And I love Dave Amato as much as anybody in this world, man. He's, he's, he's just, it's just his heart. You know, it... it, it I'd I, I want I'd love to have Dave Amato in heaven with me, and not only God can, can decide that. I, I I would never make that judgment, but to hear Dave sing those lyrics, and put every ounce of passion that he had into singing that stuff, was so awesome to me, man. And and Dino, we would sit there and he'd be belting out just this you know really heavy spiritual line and give it, you know. He, and he's a people pleaser, man. Is that good enough? I'll do it again. I'll do it ten times if you want. Right. You know? Are you sure that's good enough? He'd get home at night. He'd call me. Hey, Johnny. Johnny, is that, was that good enough? <laughs> Dave, it's great, man. It's great. How about the right. guitar part? You know, it, it, he's... It was just... It was such an awesome experience to have him part of that. You know? Right. You know, Unlike... And I'm not putting down Steve Walsh. I don't know what Steve was going through. But unlike Steve Walsh not wanting to sing... Till you face the one who rose. Dave Amato was all over singing it. And Dave Amato, granted, has told me, and this is really a trip to me. Uh, I guess Ariel Speedwagon does, you know, they do meet and greets from time to time, either before show or after show. Yep. And they sit, at a t they sit at a table and they autograph CDs and so forth. He said, John, the guys in the band, the other guys in the band are so tired of hearing about Mastodon. I mean, they are getting tired of it. Really? It's like, all these people come to see REO because they want to see Dave Amato and ask him about Mastodon. You know what I mean? And, and they show up with... Love that. These guys show up with no REO CDs. They show up with all Mastodon CDs. 
And these guys are like, what in the world? What? It's, it's like, ah. And when Dave tells me these stories, I can just imagine them all sitting at the table. Right. And, and this super fan with a Mastodon T-shirt walks up. You know, and Mastodon albums and CDs and the stack of, of, of all this paraphernalia walks up. Right. With no REO stuff and just goes right to Dave Amato. Just bypasses all the rest of the guys in REO. And they just watch this guy walk by right over to Dave Amato. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could just picture that. And it's just, to me, it's just hilarious. Uh, you know, he said he was at the NAM show a couple of years ago. Same thing. All these guys come up to him wanting to know about Mastodon. Wow. You know? Uh, it had Mast- Mastodon had a really big cult following. And, and Mastodon was... was some of those CDs were going for as much as two hundred, or albums were going for as much as two hundred and fifty dollars. Well, what? In fact, there's a there's a guy that has both Mastodon records. They're in pristine condition, and, it's, and he wants. He emailed me uh, on a Facebook message and wants one hundred and twenty bucks a piece for him. Are you looking for him? I don't oh. have him. Yeah, I'm looking for mm. him. Um, sorry, I get, sorry, I gave mine away. Oh, I wish you would have gave them to me. Yeah, because I mean, I have I have the CDs, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'd love to have the albums. But the, um, why didn't you sing? Because I didn't want it to be a John Elefante solo record. I wanted it to be... I wanted Mastodon to be like an Alan Parsons project where we can bring in all these different players that didn't have to be part of the band and just you know have all these different singers and players. And you know Even though Dino and I wrote like 95% of it, I just... Uh, we wanted to do an Alan Parsons project type deal. Mm. This fic- this this quasi fictitious band, but I will tell you that all those songs on both records were songs that were written for my solo albums mm. that never got off the ground. Mm. I never wanted to be a producer. That that wasn't the that wasn't on my radar at all when I left Kansas. Mm. Wow! I wanted to be an artist. I felt like I was born to be an artist and sing and yeah. Yeah. producing. You know, it's like I'm not a producer. You want me to produce your record? I mean. Right, but it just you know, bands just kept coming. Hey, you know, we want you to produce our record. We want you to produce our record. Yeah, and um, I don't look back on with with regret, but yeah, never, wanted to be an artist and just never panned out. It just never panned out. Well, it, well, I shouldn't say that it has panned out. Yeah, but but yeah, not, not maybe not maybe not what you were laying in bed thinking about, you know. But uh, no, I wanted to be Brian Adams, man. That that's 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 the level I was thinking. Right. And for for whatever reason, God shut the door on it. And, and uh, who am I to argue with God? Who knows the way my life would have turned out? I'm very happy with where I'm at in my life. Oh, who are you to argue with God? <laughs> you're well. You're the guy who shouldn't be arguing with God. <laughs> All the rest of us no. are arguing with him. So or her. <laughs> so anyway, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this uh, this time and and. I mean, yeah, it's a lengthy conversation, but I'm just glad to get to know you because you got a soft heart in there, and I appreciate you writing about it through it and and letting it touch my heart. So it's a good thing. I appreciate that, Frank. It's it. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. It's it's always it's always you know good to just get it out on the table, you know. And and I just, yeah, I don't claim to be anything more than just a small small vehicle that God uses and to what extent I don't know how far and deep it goes really I've seen I've seen glimpses of it with the suicide stuff but right you know I mean people write me things and, and 
I feel like it's a it's a privilege to be able to still have my voice and be able to sing. Yeah. You know, I I never uh, I guess I didn't do it enough road work where I, I lost my voice. Yeah. Because I, I still sing exactly like I did when I was 25. Really? Wow. I mean, I, I, I haven't lost a note. I don't lower the keys of any songs when I sing live. It's funny how you discover humility. For my lengthy time speaking with John Elefante, I, I couldn't have been more impressed with his working class, unpresuming way. And this is a guy who sang and wrote some top shelf rock on purpose. Don't you know? Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, you are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks, questioner, interviewer, searcher, hoper.